This is Heroes Home Base, episode 20. This is Rich. This is Mark. This is Rob. Episode 20. Mm. Can you believe that? 20 episodes we've done. I feel like we've been only doing this for like a month. A week? Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. It's gone by very fast. So ever since our our last episode, uh, I've probably watched Anthony's documentary two more times. (laughs) I've seen that a total of three times. It's, I don't know. It's, it's so good, man. I really, I, uh, I was just talking to, we were talking to Gib not too long ago and asked him if he had watched it yet and it's on his radar of things to do. So it's cool that, uh, they're aware of it. Such a good, good movie. Yeah. I got to go back and watch it. Um, you'll love it. I'm telling you, I watched it three times. I mean, I've only seen it the one time, but, uh, I didn't get a chance to go back, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I uh, This um, parental leave with the birth of my daughter, I've actually read more comics uh, in the last week than I have in probably the last uh, 10 years. Like, wow. I'm joking. Like, nice. it's been, what Rich I, was gracious enough to drop off a stack, and I'm like, uh, I need another stack. What did I, what all did I give you? The recent arc in Batman, which was fantastic. Fantastic. I can't, I can't remember the last time I've read some good stuff like that. And then you gave me some of the post 1000 detective, which, uh, eh, some of it's all right. Some of it's it gets, garbage. It gets better. I, I like it. The, the art's really, really original. It's, it's a different take. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, man, but, that, you new, know, that new, that new, that new Batman run, man, that's, that's going to do amazing. I felt like I binged watch something and then, then I was caught up on Netflix. Like I was like, yeah, Oh yeah, bro, yeah. is this, there's no dates on these damn covers anymore. I'm like, is this where we are? And I you're like, like, yeah, I, f- I feel like I've been down on Tom King's run on Batman. And I-, I hate to say that. And I hate to be abrupt about it. Like I really enjoyed his run, like probably up until issue 50, which I think a lot of people were the same way where mm-hmm. uh, to give you guys a little bit of context. I know Mark, you don't read it. It's where Bruce and Selena were supposed to get married yeah and it to me like a lot of people were let down by it i wasn't really let down by it and it just felt like after that story arc it kind of just went a little bit like i don't know tom king is is a great author he just has a tendency to i i hate i I don't even know how to describe it like he just gets to a point and then he never answers the point and you're kind of just left with what 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 the just happened here (laughs) So um, it was good. I, I felt like it just kind of ended abruptly because I think that they, I think DC saw the sales start to slide a little bit, and uh, they they started doing damage control, and and it obviously took them off the book. Yeah. But this new this new villain, the the um, designer, the designer is epic. Mark, what uh, you sent me a couple links the other day. What do we got as far as any other news before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this episode? Well, apparently there is buzz going around about Zack Snyder's Snyder, uh, Justice League um, Snyder Cut. Really? Oh, yeah. Apparently they he had private privately held screenings. With some execs, right? To some executives. And um, it's, I think it's etching, it's edging closer to being put out is nice. what I'm gathering from what I can see. I heard uh, that it may not hit theaters, but it may go like home streaming and stuff. I don't know. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to hit like, it was going to be like, I don't want to say the flagship of HBO Max, but it was going to be 
the driving force to get people to subscribe to it since Warner and HBO just did that deal. So I wouldn't be surprised. I kind of go back to my other comments that we already made about this. I think it was when we were talking to Doug a few episodes ago where it's like, I really desperately want to see this movie, but at the same time, if he doesn't get some kind of continuation or some kind of, you know, wrap up to his vision, it may just feel, I might just feel let down all over again. But if it's got some success, I'm sure that uh, he could get green lit to, to finish it and some form of capacity maybe not a big budget uh, blockbuster but something else uh what other news around shows i know you sent me something else dude and i about jumped up and down and couldn't believe it really see i don't know because i did yeah oh yes yes <laughs> so swamp because i was trying to scroll through what i what i tagged what i tagged you in so yes swamp thing was originally on the dc universe app it's now found its new home on the cw baby Starting, starting what, 2021? Yeah, and I'm thinking that Greg Berlanti, I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Berlanti has his hands in it. So I think that uh, I was, after you tagged me in that article, I, I read through it, and it sounds to me like they're going to re-release the DC first Universe. Season. First season. On first the season on Yep. And then hopefully go into production for a second season. That, that show was... Excellent. I'll have to check it out. I and I love Titans, but I think that Swamp Thing was probably my favorite show on that on on that platform by far. Really? Yeah. I mean, see, the reason why I say Titans is because the costumes do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rob, I would highly recommend watching that. I would not watch it. Highly. I would. Well, I think uh, I would not watch it around your. I would not watch it around your kids. But uh, sure. It's definitely a. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, the the graphics and the sets alone, it, it was it was badass. Uh, Kim got into it. Kim got into it, uh, and she you know she's going to take the opportunity to quit it. Uh, she did quit it after like the third episode when the news came out that because we watched it kind of late after it was premiered and the news came out that they were going to make a second season. And she's like, well, I'm not going to get invested in these characters if I don't get a continuation. So she, she told me the other day, she's like, well, we should, we should rewatch it now that it's going to come back. So might find a show that she doesn't quit. Yeah. So kind of some of the things I've been reading, you know, you, you, uh, you gave me Batman, which I greatly appreciate, but you also dropped off plocks and the Pathfinder society. Yes. Um, Handmaker's stuff. Who honestly, I'll be I'll be straight with you. I wasn't too familiar with his stuff. Um, and then going back and reading uh, Bone with Jensen, I'm like, oh man, okay, the guy that colored the Scholastic yeah. um, books with Jeff. And I'm like, all right. And you know, I I ate those up super quick. Um, so that was something else that I was reading. Which that in combination with you know the documentary we've been talking about. Um, and having a little bit more downtime. Uh, my house is a little crazy right now. We're just, our dynamics obviously. have obviously shifted, but I've had a little bit more time to appreciate some things at a slower pace. And it's really kind of renewed my love for comics for sure. Speaking of Steve, Gib approached the three of us since we've done a couple episodes together. And uh, during this quarantine season, wanted to kind of keep the uh, the guests that would normally, I believe, come into the store and he wanted to try something new and do a virtual signing. So we set up a virtual signing with uh, Steve and Gib and the three of us and hosted it on the Laughing Ogre's Facebook page. This, this episode is kind of going to be more geared towards uh, that conversation that we had. It was cool because uh, people were able to ask comments on the live feed. And then if you wanted to get a custom signed book, you could email 
It's the laughing ogre, Ohio at gmail.com. We're going to kind of convert this episode into the highlight of the, of the live feed. And if you, if anybody listening wants to get their own signed book or, you know, ask Steve a question, we can certainly email him, uh, get with Gib and try to get you a copy of this book. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it, especially if you have children, anybody who likes the fantasy, you know, Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potter, um, even Indiana Jones. Like I, I highly recommend this book. It was like Goonies meets uh, National Treasure and Stranger Things all wrapped up in one. I really liked it. Um, again, I think it's something that I, you know, as an adult love, and then it's something else in addition to bone that I can expose my kids to, to hopefully um, they'll love comics as much as I have. Be sure to check it out. Okay. So without further ado, we will take you to the recording that we did with all of us. Yeah. I'm not in a huge hurry. You you guys don't have to like rush around or anything on my account. So don't freak out. And last name is Haymaker, correct? Uh, Haymaker. Yeah. Haymaker. Okay. Yeah. Don't mispronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) Haymaker is fine. Actually people call me Haymaker so much that, when I had my font made, uh, I had Blambot um, create a font for me, like a hand handwritten thing. And uh, nice. I, I decided to name it Haymaker. So H-A-Y. <laughs> everybody, like lots of people call me Haymaker. But Haymaker is kind of cool because it's a it's like a punch. It's a kind of right. So I'm fine with that. So Haymaker's fine. It's not my name, but. <laughs> is, it ha- is it Hammaker? Is that yeah, how you pronounce it? I, I mean, I yeah, Hammaker is fine. Yep. Okay. <laughs> one of those names that i'm like it depends on how i feel how i want to i'm feeling in a punching mood today or it's like like lancaster or lancaster (laughs) how do i feel like saying how do i feel like saying that newark 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 going live well i'm rich wagner with uh heroes home base and uh let's go around and introduce ourselves fellas i'm mark with also with heroes home base uh, and i'm rob with the same podcast um we are here with steve hammaker the artist of the recently released and published book the pathfinders society we're going to do a live stream with him and going to do live signing with him and we've got some questions uh, that we're going to ask kind of along the way and Rich, we anything have else? And we have the voice of Laughing Ogre himself, Gib, on the line, feeding us comments and questions from Facebook. Say nice. All right. So um, do we want to just kind of get into the signing for the folks that we already have something for and then do some questions? How do we want to go there? Yeah, I can just start signing. I've got a couple people here I can start with. Yeah, so I've got, uh, I'm going to sign a book to Danny and Brian first. So I'm going to get that going. If you guys have any questions you want to fire off, feel free. I'm just going to kind of sketch. So I'll go ahead and start. You know, we were excited to talk to you tonight because there is such a level of confidence and integrity in creating and self-publishing your own book. And so we were excited to really kind of uh, pick your brain as what that what that life is like. And so what we always start off with with our interviews is we always like to know when did you first fall in love with comics? Oh, for me, um, it was probably in... Well, it was probably earlier than this, but the first, I think when the hook was set for me was uh, the original TMNT uh, back in probably 84, whenever those books first came out, the black and white books. And yeah, it it just, uh, it blew my mind because, and and speaking to um, self-publishing, you know, finding out that Eastman Laird, you know, we're just two guys in New Hampshire, I believe, just making comics uh, was amazing and really inspiring to me. So um, yeah, that was, that was probably the first time. Uh, and then it just, and uh, you know, the anthropomorphic stuff was big for me too. You know, I loved, I loved the, the, 
turtles just everything about the turtles like was was all me so so were you get were you really into the tv show uh the tv show was actually a little bit like i was probably 14 or so when that first started coming out so it was a little old for me or i was a little old for it right but i did get the toys i was big into toys so the action figures were big and that's all you could get like even though i wanted you know like i've got these statues back here i don't know if you can see those you got them (laughs) yeah nice those are the the original you know that's like that's eastman laird you know red bandanas you know (laughs) all red none of this you know different color bs <laughs> we had to tell back in the day we had to tell our turtles apart from their weapon so uh, <laughs> that's right yeah anyway. you're right huh? <laughs> but yeah that was that was probably it for me so talk about when did you started when did you start to get into uh, illustrating and more specifically when did that kind of turn into illustrating for comics um i i went to school uh, at columbus college of art and design here in ohio and yeah. um and I came here for animation. I was really big into Disney animation and stuff. I thought that was like, because back in the late 80s, early 90s, there wasn't really like a comics industry the way there is now. So even though I loved comics and wanted to do, you know, be a cartoonist and, and, and make comics, it's not like, ooh, graphic novels, like I'm going to do that. Like graphic novels didn't even really exist quite yet. Right. Um, you know, until the early 90s when like, you know, Will Eisner was kicking off stuff with, you know, he was big into like, hey, let's put a bunch of stories that are all related into a big book. And then you sell that in bookstores. How'd that be? You know, like that was a big revelation in the early 90s. And then obviously Jeff Smith, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, went along with that. Um, you know, some of the big publishers obviously did too, like, you know, the Watchmen series, they they knew that that was like one story. Let's make it into a big fat book. Yeah, it's going to be sold even in comic stores. Even if it was sold only in comic stores at the time when it came out, maybe you know eventually it was easy easy to transition transition that into um, selling it in bookstores. So, but that didn't exist, and I was like, I'm going to just go for illustration in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of college, I got a job uh, designing toys, uh, which was not comics also, but the first job I got, uh, one of the first, uh, clients I, I was hooked up with was Jeff Smith. So I designed the toys, the action figures for, uh, for bone. Nice. Um, and that was in the late nineties, early aughts. Yep. And then he kind of snatched me away from that. I was going to be, he knew I was going to be let go from that job anyway. Uh, so he, Said, hey, why don't we come work with me? Work for me and uh, make make toys here. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, cool. That was my into comics was Jeff because I had sort of given up a little bit on you know being a cartoonist. Like I didn't know what that meant or what that could be. So I was just trying to pay off my my student loans and stuff. <laughs> did you ever pursue like Disney as a potential option? I did. Yeah, my senior year, I submitted a portfolio to the Disney TV people because they they. At that time, Disney film and TV had people that would come in and like let the juniors and seniors, I believe was the rule, um, submit like a portfolio. And, you know, if they if you were the chosen one, you know, uh, you could maybe get a job at, you know, maybe you could get a job clean being a cleanup artist uh, at Disney, which was and I'm not uh, speaking negatively about that job, but I, I realized really early on that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Right. And right. I, I was just like, you know, I love Disney. I love what those guys do and, and guys and gals do. And but I just it was so much work to do 
one thing, there's so much, you know, commitment to maybe get a job at Disney that I was like, I just, I want to diversify myself in college and I just kind of want to spread myself out a little bit. And, uh, and I also loved comics, but it was this weird comics was like a weird thing where it was like almost like my mistress like well I'm, I'm doing this illustration stuff to like pay the bills you know i'm gonna do anything to be an artist and get paid for it and comics is like the thing i do you know at home right right so my first graphic novel that i self-published fish and chips like that was just me going to a coffee shop every night and just drawing my ass off for two years to make my own comic because i could you know, I learned how to do it. Jeff, you know, working with Jeff was like osmosis. You know, I was just learning all this stuff about self-publishing, but also like about art, obviously, and, you know, how to make a page and how to letter and everything about comics was all from him. So I thought I knew, I thought I loved comics until I met Jeff Smith. And then I knew I loved comics. Hell yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Have you ever worked for a major publisher? Um, Technically I have uh, through Jeff, yeah. I haven't, I mean, Viking, so this book is, is a Viking book, which is a major publisher, uh, DC Comics. We did a, Jeff and I did a uh, Shazam book in 2007. I remember eight, that. Yeah. There, yeah. So that was with DC and that was amazing. They were great, but they, you know, it's like, it's total, you know, uh, I'm just coattails, you know, it's totally coattails, you know, I'm, he, he just like, let me long, you know, let me along for the ride kind of. So you know, it's not like I got a job at DC. <laughs> like <laughs> I was working with Jeff at the time as his colorist and they were like, well, we have a, you know, built-in colorist. Like who's going to do that work? You know, it's, it's going to be me. So to use the sports analogy, you were like the, one of the assistant coaches under the head coach, essentially. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, it was like, he's already doing the job. Like why would we, um, you know, yeah. Well, it's a great way to put it the way your, your relationship to a major publisher. So can you kind of tell us, like, although you may not have dealt with them one-on-one directly yourself, can you, can you tell us kind of what's the difference between self-publishing and then working with a major publisher? I mean, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, uh, if you work for yourself, you, you do all the work, but you make all the decisions. So that could be, that can be good and can be bad. Um, you know, have it, working with an editor, I'm in a weird situation right now where I was hired to do this illustration for this book, you know, and based on like work I had already done, like I self-published a, a web comic and a, and a graphic novel called Plock and Love they it. liked my work on that. And they were like, we just want this, but make it a kid's book, you know, yeah. like use your, your style is fine and everything that you do and all the way you, you cartoon is fine. We just want, you know, we have somebody that's uh, written this script, Francisco Sedita and Prescott Sardarian. Uh, they wrote the script and I was like, cool, I'll try. I've never done that before. I had never uh, drawn from a script before. So that was kind of a challenge to, to learn how to do. But yeah, it was, it was like, they, they didn't, they had a lot of faith in me. It wasn't like I went to them. Like, I feel like if I had gone to them and said, I want to be the artist for this book and tried out for it and it would have been a different environment for me to to work where maybe they, maybe they would have been like nitpicky or, you know, kind of micromanaging me, but they were not micromanaging me because I knew Francesco from years before he used to work at Scholastic. So I met him like early when I was coloring bone. Um, My editor on that Sheila Keenan was working at Scholastic also. So I, I've, I've known these people for a long time and I'm already kind of established, you know, as a professional cartoonist. So they didn't feel like they needed, I hope they didn't feel like they needed to like micromanage me and they had a lot of confidence. So for me, it was kind of different, but not, not different. I don't know. It, it was, 
there's there's different freedoms you know i didn't have to worry about getting the story right like on, on plots it's like i held myself to a very high standard to make sure the story works there's no plot holes you know things like that like you, you just you know you want to like make sure you have to self-edit i don't have right. somebody you know i have friends that can read it and say you know this seems weird you know you might want to change that dialogue because it seems like you know a, a paradox or something um so besides that it's 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 great and, and viking's been really supportive my writer the writers and the, the editorial staff and um the designers at Viking have been amazing. So it's kind of cool having like, having worked and done stuff all on my own before and then have like support like in the right way. Yeah, yeah. Like nice. having people that just like know what you're already doing and they just make it easier for you to do that makes all the difference. So, so you've established to, those relationships on your own. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. you know, co riding the coattails of Jeff Smith, you know, I, I was already working at, you know, for, for, for cartoon books. And so, you know, I'm going to these parties at Comic-Con. I'm meeting these people at, you know, book release, you know, parties and things like that. So, yeah, I'm just I'm making sure and they all know who I am, you know, because I'm emailing back and forth. Here's right. the file, you know, the files are uploaded or here's the hard drive. Back then we used to send hard drives. Nobody does that anymore. But, uh <laughs> Back when we were doing Bone, we would be like, here's the hard drive. We have to package it and send it. But, you know, I'm sending it to, you know, uh, Phil at Scholastic. He's going to get this and he's going to take the – and then he's going to plug it in. Like nobody does – Sorry, it. Steve, it's corrupted. Something happened in the mail. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that doesn't happen. So, thankfully. So, Steve, we have a couple Facebook questions for you. Oh, please. What is your favorite turtle? Which is your favorite turtle? Which is my favorite turtle? Um, I think it's Raph. Nice, the bad boy. Yeah, I think it's right. He was always cool. I think it was because the Raphael um, one shot was my f one of my f yeah, it was my favorite because they had Casey Jones. That whole thing with Casey Jones um, was in the it was in the one shot, right? Am I getting that wrong? I don't know. I don't even own that. I don't think I own that. You said it confident enough. I think you sound good. It's probably. I don't even know if the one shots. I have the big thick books back here, but. Ah. I'm not going to do that. Second well. question: Why was there no Lucius action figure then? If you designed those things, um, he was mm. in c series. He was going to be in series four. No, he was going to be in series three. I did get Grandma. That was big. So when when we did the action figures, I was working for a company called Rosaurus, and we did like uh, Duke Nukem, Speed mm. Racer, Street Fighter, nice. um, Quake. We did a lot of video game stuff. Early, this was early. This was like 98, 97. So we were one of the first companies to actually sell into, back then it was called Electronics Boutique. But now, you know, like you, you go to any kind of a, like um, a GameStop, yeah. which is now the only thing that you can uh, equate right. to that stuff. Um, you know, they have toys and action figures. They've got the Funko Pops and all that. Like, but that was not, you know, they had video games. That was it. There was Nintendo games. Sega games and PC games. You got toys. What's the story behind the bear with an umbrella on the bookshelf on page 26? The, the bear. Oh, the bear. Yeah, let me find that. Hold on. I feel like I've just answered this question recently. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so this page. All right, let's 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 set up the page. So in the, in the story, I don't know if you can see that very well. Yep, we got it. He's looking, the character's looking at a curio cabinet thing, and it's got a bunch of stuff on it. Well, I decided to hide a bunch of Easter eggs yes. there. So I put the I put the Goonies uh, doubloon in there. I was going to say, that was my next question. I got the Shankara <laughs> stones, I think that's how you say that, in uh, from the Temple of Doom in there. But the two things that were actually written 
what were this this um, uh, newspaper clipping down here, and then this bear holding an umbrella. And I was like, a statue of a bear holding an umbrella. Like <laughs> that was in the script. I'm like, I didn't make that up. And so I just I. <laughs> I had to figure out how to like what is what is that? So I just yeah I did it. I, I mean it's in there like three times. Look at this. So I, I'm hoping that it's coming back. I don't know if it's coming back in the story. It's been it's been drawn with vigor. So my favorite okay. Easter egg that you had in the book is page seventy, first panel. Oh, page seventy. Oh, this is good. This is I was this is something I wanted to talk about because I hit a bunch of stuff. Oh, okay. What what is it? Because there's a That's lot. That's not of Temple of Doom. Isn't that the uh... The rubbing from Last Crusade. Uh, yep, right here. Oh, loved it. Rubbing, right, and then this is the the actual map from Goonies. Yep. Uh, this is Sting from Lord of the Rings. Nice. This is a Sith holocron from many Star Wars video games. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of things like that. So that's a challenge for any kids or anybody anybody that's reading reading this. Uh, the challenge is you know find the find all the stuff that I hid in this book because I I hid a bunch of stuff. There's mm -hmm. lots of stuff. There's stuff that I'll probably never even admit because it's like a bear with an umbrella. <laughs> that no, but that's in the script. <laughs> I didn't do it. it. Was yeah, that was in the script. So Steve, you kind of already built on this question I have for you um, when you're ranting about being an independent versus um, working for a major publisher. Is can you say a little bit more about? Is there anything different about your creative process? And I was thinking specifically about your coloring for Bone an established story you're doing plots your own stuff and then kind of what you said with pathfinder society the script is already written is there anything yep. that changes in your creative process as you approach works like that that are kind of distinctly different it's a di yeah it's just like a different set of creative decisions that i make um, because the script is written in a way that gives me a lot of room for what the actual set pieces will be, um, you know, there, there's a whole, so I'm working on the second book right now and there's like all these different scenes where they're got, the kids are, you know, going through and, and they, they get to like a puzzle or some sort of room that's got a bunch of panels to press and, you know, get to the next stage of their adventure. And, you know, I have to figure out what that looks like. Like they're not giving me like, you know, it's not like Alan Moore detail Oh yeah. You know, in, in terms of the script, which is good. I love that because that gives me that that lets me be almost as creative as I can be making up my own story. Um, you know, with my with like like clocks for me is easy easier on the writing side because it's based on my life or it's based on things that I think about or feel or places I've been. So it's the the starting point is a little farther ahead. With this, it's like, it's not my story. They've given me so much information to, to get past a certain point. So then I can just get right into the creativity part of it. Of Like, what's this, what's this background going to look like? You know, what does the actual castle in the story look like? You know, and then I, and then I do all kinds of research. I get to, but I like all that. You know, I'm, I'm building sets in, in Google SketchUp to help me with like perspective and just getting an idea of space and scale mm -hmm. uh, props. Like I can, I can build props in, in Google SketchUp and just to have that as an option to like, you know, bring it in and then trace over it. And it just, it's like that stuff I love to do because it's, it's stuff that I've also done on plots, but um, you know, the writing having, not having written this doesn't really change that much of, of sure. what kind of creative decisions I get to make at that stage anyway. So what was in the, how was the script at describing kind of what I would consider to be like, I was reminded of like, 
bioluminescence from Avatar with some of the, you know, like the, the very bright um, things yeah. like the moon tower and things. How was that described? And then how did you kind of make that happen? On They were, they were good about that. They were pretty, yeah, they were pretty clear about it. So as it is in the book, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Um, they wanted it to be, you know, kind of specific color and um, a feel, you know, a specific feel. Uh, so that was easy for me because that, that I'm, I'm into that kind of stuff anyway. Like, you know, like sting from, or the rings. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the idea of something glowing when it gets and in, comes into contact with something. So, you know, they're in a way, like we're all in the same, we're all the same age, by the way, like Francesco and Scott are both the same age as I am. So we all grew up on the same stuff. Sure. It's all Coonies and back to the future and, yep. you know, all that, all that stuff from the eighties, uh, star Wars, obviously. Um, so yeah, it, it just, we, we kind of had a shorthand already established before we even started, but it's also easy for me just to, you know, text or email them and say, what were you really thinking about this? You know, do you want, how bright do you want it? You know, yeah. why does it matter you know, down the road, that kind of stuff. So they, they help keep me uh, grounded. I don't go too far, but so far we've been really good. You know, we've been on the same page, pun intended. So. <laughs> couple more facebook comments steve yeah ryan wants you to know that he likes the bear oh yeah okay well i yeah i do too i spent a lot of time researching that bear and someone wants to know what's the one thing you would tell past steve now that you finished the book oh that i finished the book uh oh my god you finished the book i don't know uh, <laughs> go have a beer i don't know um yeah i it feels really good to have uh, accomplished like anytime you finish any big project, it feels good. I remember, um, I feel like when I finished coloring bone, it was, that was like really <laughs> heavy. Um, I bet. this book was a little di- the, like having finished this book was a little different. Cause I knew there there was at least one more coming. So, you know, I, I it's, I was happy and I celebrated and everything, but you know, there's, there's more coming <laughs> soon. So you, you can't be, you can't rest on your laurels too long um, that was going to be my next yeah. question steve is it a, is it going to be a trilogy or is it just a two-parter that's a good question uh i don't know if they've announced anything i think they want it to be a trilogy uh okay. so they're i think they're working on it i don't know if they've officially announced anything okay. but so if they if they're watching this i'm sorry guys i just blew it <laughs> they are i know they're working on yeah they're working on a, a third the second book's really really the second book is definitely the like a the second part to this story because this story kind of does it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger but it ends with enough of like unanswered questions where you're like absolutely definitely i definitely need to see what happens next so it was very empire strikes back i was like oh (laughs) except for nobody lost any limbs and nobody got got frozen uh but, but beside that yes it was a little uh cliffhanger ish but it's fine. And the next book does start, you know, it, it, we're going to get back right back into it. So uh, nobody has to worry. We're not, we're not going to, you know, do anything too drastic. So you kind of touched us, touched on this a little, as far as the like mechanics in the process, but personally, can you kind of give us the highlights and the struggles of self-publishing? Like you mentioned earlier, the happy times and the sad times. Could you maybe kind of go into that? personally for us yeah sure um the I, I guess the sad times are easier to talk about first and then i can maybe uh roll that into the happy times um the the tough stuff is you know when you're just when you're just you there's there's just work there's just raw hours that you can't cover 
to do something to get something enough attention. So mm-hmm. it, even if you make the best comic and you know it looks it, it's the it's the best story and it looks it looks awesome like it's so hard to get to the next stage which is get people to know about your comic. Um right. because you know big companies have money mm-hmm. and if you're self-publishing you don't have like you know maybe maybe you get a, a, a small business loan or something but you know most self-publishers aren't going to like and, and this maybe is different now because social media you know, can be like a, a wildfire for, for people's, you know, getting attention. But yeah. back in the day, it's, it's tough to like put out an ad. Like for me, I had to like put out ads in Diamond, you know, like mm-hmm. hoping that that would help promote it to like the person, you know, like Gib at the Laughing Ogre. Like, I hope he sees my full page ad that I spent $800 on. Wow. <laughs> That's like how much I spend on rent. And, you know, and so is that going to be worth it to sell 10 more books, you know, or... If it was a hundred more books, it would be worth it. But uh, so I think the struggle really is marketing and getting the word out. Um, you know, it's hard enough to make a comic that's good or you know re- relate you know, is relatable to people. You know, that somebody wants to read ever. It's you know, if you get past that, then you st- it's like it's, there's like another mountain to climb. There's always another mountain to climb with self-publishing. Um, but you know. Self-publishing doesn't have to just be like, I did a lot of stuff on my own, like truly on my own, like every single thing and it sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I do think I would, I would tell people if they're starting out, like, you know, get people to help you get, get help. Like you can still be a self-publisher and have that, that badge of honor. If, if that's what you feel. Cause that's how I felt. I felt like this is a badge of honor for me. I want to know that it's all me. Uh, but you know, Jeff Jeff Smith didn't. It wasn't just him. You know, he had he had his wife Vijaya. He had uh, Kathleen. Um, at at a time, you know, after they had worked with him for years before I worked with him. But then he had me, so he had help. And so I feel like you can still be a self publisher, and that's a legit thing. But you need support at some point. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm, the way you're describing it, I mean, with these Herculean tasks and every milestone that you make, I mean, it just even makes it more sweet of the fact. I mean, and I would imagine that it would you would gain confidence knowing that you after every milestone, after every task that you you made the way you describe it, you know what I'm saying? That you did this on your own and it was just you. I, I mentioned at the top of the show that it was just it, there's so much confidence and integrity that you have for doing what you do. And I just think that that's so awesome and that you were able to, you, I'm glad that you were able to say that, you know, some of the, the, the sad times and the, just yeah. the, the work that's involved. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no, I, and, and the good times are, you know, you, you get to have this thing that you are super proud of and that, that you, you burst. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it, I'll never be able to have a child like, my wife had our child but it it, at times it feels like that and in a longer you know it's like spread out over you know two years of your life where um it's maybe it's the same amount of pain but it's it's you know spread (laughs) real thin um but yeah uh it feels great uh and it also like i don't know I, i just like you know i like meeting people at cons and and you know, tr- trying to sell your book uh, in person. Hopefully we can get back to that someday. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if that's ever going to happen. Or, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a journey. And um, yeah, I've had some really, I've had some great, you know, mentors uh, in my career. Like, you know, I, I've gotten to work with not just Jeff, I've gotten to work with Terry Moore, who's a, who's a famous self-publisher. Um, Judd Winnick uh, was, he self-published, I think at a time. And, but he's, he's another guy that like my relationship with him 
is like a brother like he's my brother you know nice and it's like if if jeff's probably like my my uncle or or you know he's like the uncle and then judd would be a brother let's see what terry would be terry's the terry's the inappropriate uncle (laughs) he's the dirty uncle that you're like you know don't talk to terry at the at the thanksgiving table no i'm just kidding i love terry so steve a little bit more on um, Pathfinder Society. So for first-time readers or folks that are not familiar with um, kind of your work, like how would you describe this particular comic to folks? Uh, this comic is uh, it's a great uh, young adult, all-ages uh, adventure. It's, it's very like Goonies. Um, the, the authors have described it as like Goonies in space camp. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it, it just kind of harkens back to like the, you know, like the not stand by me because stand by me is very dark. <laughs> this is not dark, <laughs> right. but you know, the, the coming of age kids all together on an adventure together uh, is it resonates with, with everybody. I mean, every, every generation has like some movie or some story that has this kind of thing. You know, Harry Potter is very much that way too. Yeah, it's got some Harry Potter stuff, you know, uh, in it too. Uh, slightly more magical uh, stuff than maybe the Goonies. Goonies was more like a, you know, pirate treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's definitely got some, you know, some mystical something's going on. You know, some some mystery. With that being said, what are what are your what are your uh, thoughts on comic books today? Oh, geez, uh, I don't know. Can you be more specific? Like, what do you mean? As far as like some of the stories that you see, whether from major publishers or self-publishers, are you, what are you, what are your thoughts on them? You like them you were kind of, oh, yeah. kind of out of the way or some of them are kind of far-fetched or what are your kind of thoughts on them? Anything that you see? I'm not, I'm not really big on, I've gotten a little uh, detached from the mainstream comics, like the superhero comics. Um, I don't know why. It's, I think it's because I've just had a hard time keeping up with like what's going on with Captain America. Like, I don't know who Captain America is right now, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, um, but you know, I love the Marvel movies. So I'm still, I still love superheroes. I still love the lore and the stories that are from comics. Uh, but the comics themselves, uh, you know, the mainstream stuff is harder for me to uh, immerse into. Um, so for me, it's, it's like, you know, I, I have a lot of friends now that make comics. So like uh, Kazu Kibuishi, um, you know, Judd Winnick, uh, I worked with him on Hilo, you know, those, those kinds of stories, especially now I have a seven-year-old, like I can read those to him. I just read bone to my son, like a couple months ago for the first time. And he loved it. Uh, so I'm kind of looking at comics through the eyes of him at right now. So uh, that's, that's kind of my focus at the moment. Um, you know, this, I love Raina Telgemeier. I love, uh, Gene Yang. He just came out with a new book. Uh, both of them actually just came out with new books, but, uh, yeah, Jeannie Yang's book, Dragon Hoops, I'm, I'm reading at the moment. I love it. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think graphic novels I'm more drawn to right now because that's kind of how I, how I see myself maybe a little okay. bit. And so I'm looking at it in terms of, you know, they're, they're doing things that I'm trying to figure out as, a, as an artist myself, whereas maybe I'm not relating as much to, like, superhero comics in the same way. Okay. There, there's just a different, there's kind of a different, uh, it's a little bit of a different art form to do the kinds of long form storytelling that Raina Telgemeier is doing. Right. And like the, the episodic, the more episodic stuff um, that the mainstream comics people are doing, which nothing against that at all. Right. Love them. But I just, and it's also like hard to, to keep up. I just can't floppy comics. You guys, I can't do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Steve, not really a question, kind of more of a testimonial. Um, folks that kind of know me personally, Bone is one of my favorite comics. Um, probably oh, wow. about time. I liked it that it was separate from the superhero stuff. Yeah. Um, which clearly I love, but it's reading the scholastic books recently with my six year old. Yeah. The coloring just to me brought like a whole nother layer to Jeff's bow. So I think you have a direct contribution to that. And I, I, I just want to say thank you because I've been able to kind of share that with my son and he's really loved the stories. And I think um, the color just brings it to life in a different way. And he's, I mean, he's six and he, he's really liked bone so far. And awesome. We're still kind of, we're still kind of in the middle of that. But um, I really appreciate what you've, what you've contributed to one of my favorite books. And I've been able to kind of pass that on to myself. Thank you. Yeah, we worked really hard on, on that. Like to, to have you say that is exactly the, the spirit in which Jeff and I worked on color. Because it was very much like a collaborative thing with he and I. Because he, he had, he, it, was, it was almost like he didn't, he didn't really want to color it. And I, and I, I understood that. Like I, I understood him before we had start. by the time we had started coloring it, I knew how, he, what he felt about color and he had already had some interactions with colorists and, you know, people had colored his work, you know, previously. So it was kind of like, we knew what to avoid and what we were trying to reach for, uh, together. Like to, so to have somebody, to have him be a mentor, but also like be a partner and help me and help the book get to the thing, you know, get to the next level. Mm -hmm. It's like really cool. Cause at first I think he did think, eh, it'll be fine. You know, we'll, we'll just color it and it's a scholastic book deal. You know, let's just soldier on and, and see how it does. But after, after a point, probably after the first book, we realized like, Oh my God, we're doing something different. Like we're yeah. making, this is like a, it's an amplified thing, even though you can still read. And I still see people like on Twitter and Facebook, like, you know, Oh, I'm reading bone. And it's like the black and white. And that's totally awesome. Yep. That's fine. Um, but the, the fact that people also, I was, I didn't want people to think that the color was the, the lesser of the two. I wanted them to just at least be equal. And I feel like that's, that's where we are. I hope. I, th I think there's a lot of people that are not offended that the color books exist, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. but then, then people like you will say wonderful things like that. And I appreciate it. <laughs> so thank you. Absolutely. Well, coming from like reading the bone books in black and white and uh, you working with Jeff to color it, were you surprised at how much like you guys collaborated? Like, even though he didn't have color originally, was he still an expert in that? <laughs> um, yeah. He was, he was just the right amount of, hey, make it, hey, try this instead um, kind of stuff. Because I was already, I mean, my, for whatever reason, I don't know how, but my color sense was like perfectly calibrated for bone. And most of the time I got it right. But there would be, there would be like, you know, sort of walls that we would hit where we would be like, this scene could use something that only color can, can enhance. Yeah. And, and those were the moments when he would come in and really, you know, like, it, like I said about my, my publishing partners, you know, that I'm working on with this book right now, he was always, he was the right amount of like support for me at the right time. He was never like, that's wrong. You know, change, change those 10 pages. They're terrible. They're wrong. Like it was never that it was, you know, I see what you did. Let's, let's take that idea and, and work on it together. And we would just take like a chunk 
of pages and just work on it and fix it. We did that with Rassel too. Um, it was very much the same thing where it was like, you know, we just had, it was kind of like editing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, I'm sure you have, cause you're probably cinephiles too. But you know, if you've seen any of like the behind the scenes of like a Spielberg or even, you know, Lucas or Peter Jackson, yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, they're, they're with their editors and they're like trying to figure out how to make like a scene work maybe it's in color maybe they're just trying to i think there's a whole thing with peter jackson and his editor um or his color correction correcting guy uh for the lord of the rings where they're trying to like figure out what color they should make this scene like should, wow. should it be all blue or should it be like sepia like what should you know what and they ended up like you can get all like purples and blues and it like it's an amazing scene but it wasn't shot that way you know they they right. worked on it together and that's how that's kind of and those movies by the way had just come out you know, and, and Jeff's a huge Lord of the Rings fan, obviously, and, and I was too. So we were just, we kind of were like channeling that, you know, we just wanted to figure out how this te- this new technology to us anyway, um, sure, could make the stories different, uh, not necessarily better, but in a way it was better. Like we, we did some stuff, I think in the color that makes that story just, I mean, it just blows the doors open on it transcends the words on the page it just and i've got to the point now where i can i I can read it i just read it with my seven-year-old like uh, three months ago and i don't even feel like i worked on some of it like i look at it now and i'm just like and i i know that sounds like i'm tooting my own horn or something i'm not not trying to sound like that but i i feel like that's a credit to what we what the spirit of what we were trying to do which is it's not about me making an amazing, you know, trying to make some amazing art or even Jeff trying to make some amazing art on his own. It's about what we did together and, and for the story, we're serving something else, serving that story. So yeah, I think that's, that's a huge point to the story is bigger than either of you. And yet together you guys created something. Yeah. And we always, we always, we always kept that sort of in in our sights. So which of these um, Pathfinder Society characters do you kind of relate to the most? Are you a Kyle, Beth, Harry, Vic, or a Nate? Where, where, where are you on that? Um, I am exactly half Beth and half Harry. So okay, that, was, that was my next question. Are you like, a, are you cutting some people in half or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not like a magician. But I like, I think that those, well, those are the characters I like the most. I don't know if I, I guess I relate, probably relate to Nate a lot. Like, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to pick. They're like my kids now. <laughs> now they're like, they're, they're like my Plox characters, which my Plox characters are just one third of me. So I can never pick at which one I like the most. Like they're all just me. So it's kind of the same way. I feel like I, I infuse little little bits of myself into the characters obviously they're the characters were written by some by two other people so they they are also putting themselves into these characters but, sure um yeah i don't steve, know i think i feel like beth yeah beth and harry are they're, they're safe steve we've got some more facebook comments sweet first of all someone wants to know what tools do you use to color uh the tools i use um i use photoshop um and i use a cintiq um, a Wacom Cintiq uh, 22 HD uh, monitor that I can draw directly on the screen. So those are the, that's basically all I, all I do to color. Have you always digitally colored? Uh, all yes. the way back? Okay. Yeah. I, um, I used to have a small tablet. Like a, I did the first two bone books with a four by six tablet. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we have a question. Friend, what's, next? what's next? 
What's next? I know we you got another Pathfinder book, but what else you've got coming? Um, I do have another Pathfinder's book. I'm I'm trying to finish in my in between times. I'm trying to finish Plocks two. Nice. So that's almost done. I mean, I I only have two chapters left to color. There, everything's inked. I just have to color it. And then I was I was getting ready to sort of kickstart it again um, right before all this pandemic stuff happened. So sure. It's hard to know, like, if this is an appropriate time, not only to, like, ask people for money <laughs> to, like, publish <laughs> a book, but then also to get it published. Like, how do I get it printed and that kind of thing. So um, I don't know what's going to happen next. But, yeah, I, I've got enough going on Pathfinders that for the next probably two years. Um, so that's that's what's next for now. Um, I'm hoping to eventually work with Judd Winnick again. I, I loved working with Judd and and Scott Kurtz on Table Titans. I don't know if you guys have ever read Table Titans, uh, but that was a book that I colored uh, with Scott Kurtz uh, a couple years ago, and it's great, and I, I miss it. <laughs> so <laughs> just so you also know, like I... I love coloring as much, maybe sometimes it more than than drawing comics of my own. Like coloring is very is a big deal for me. Like I love it, and obviously I had a, a good first job in that industry. So, but yeah, like working with Scott and working with Judd and Terry. I, I do covers for Terry. I've done a couple books with Terry Moore, but um, I like to. I'm at this really cool point in my career where I get to sort of curate my own partners in crime. Nice, <laughs> so, right? Nice. Right. They're, nice. they're kind of like. I mean, I stalked Scott Kurtz. So that was like a, <laughs> there's a whole story behind that, but it took years to, to stalk him and to finally get him to hire me to do something, but um, it was worth it. So yeah, but definitely check out those books for sure. Yeah. I'll kind of segue into that because uh, Gib highly recommended your Plocks book. And uh, I will tell you, I read it in like less than 45 minutes front awesome. to back, front to back. And uh if you live in the Columbus area and if you go to Laughing Ogre, I highly recommend that you pick this book up because sure. I've eaten at some of the restaurants you had in this book. <laughs> I mean, you, your, your details in the Gehanna street signs, like all of that, man. Like, it, Gehanna. Do it you is, live in Gehanna? No, I live in Columbus, oh. but like oh, okay. my job is centered around delivering beverages and I've been all over the city and I've, Excellent. I've eaten at a lot of the restaurants and like, yeah. it was awesome. Like, so like the background in your book is another character to me. So, and it works. That's awesome. It works. Yeah, that was the intention. That was the intention. So yeah, when I, so the, the story is loosely based on my life in 2007 through nine before I met my wife, so Chad, his situation was pretty close to what my situation was. The crank, even the crankiness, it was. There was a lot of crankiness, and um, luckily, I found my wife Jenny, and and she saved me from all that. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun to do that because I, I I learned early on that it was important to kind of immerse. I wanted to immerse people in the world, in my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really like. And and it was mainly I just out of a love, like a passion for the places that were in them. Like I love one, Club One Eighty Five. I love Barley's. Like yep. I love downtown. I love our skyline. I love Short North and Clintonville, and you know, like I, all these things. I just I'm so inspired by just as a person, and and being lucky enough to live in in Columbus. I don't know. I just love this city. I love the city, and and I wanted the city to be a part of to be a character. So and it definitely worked, man. Definitely worked. Yeah, that was one of the selling points. Rich was like, "All right, so I did this in like 35 minutes. Here, read this." I was a little bit slower. I think I was trying to cover bath time at the time, so I was. That's- 
lower. But <laughs> totally understandable. Totally. I loved the uh, the uh, Central Ohio maps that were kind of scattered. Oh yeah, throughout. yeah. I'm like, man, if you don't know the inner belt, outer belt areas of Central Ohio after reading this, then you're not paying attention. So oh yeah, nice and and they're all. Um, I think they're all appropriate to where the scene that follows. Yes. Yes. Is yeah. I was try. I tried to be really careful. There's even. I think there's even a map of like Anaheim when they go to California. Yep, I think. Yeah. Yep. I was like, I don't know this one. That was my first reaction. I'm like, I don't know this. Because I, I started that when I started designing the book after all the art was already done. I was like, oh, this would be cool as like chapter because I needed chapter break uh, to make the page turns, you know, still work. So I needed these blank pages. And I'm like, well, I don't want them to be blank. I want them to have something on there. So I came up with that as a as kind of a, an ongoing, you know, theme. I, I thought it was fun, but then I got to the, the Anaheim scene. I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> Gonna have to figure out where where the uh, convention, the Anaheim Convention Center, is on Google Maps. So I've got to ask you because I noticed your other Easter egg in your Pathfinder's book is your your sad face. Oh side, yes, sideways. Do you possess yeah. this Chad hat that has this? And what's the yes. story behind that? Um, I made it up for the for the book. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't even know what I don't know how I why I did that, but I just I felt like I needed something. I did feel like there's a little bit of a market because I'm a, I'm a toy guy, so I I've yeah. always had I always had this thing in the back of my head, which is how can I put something in the comic that I can market later? Yeah, so I did think like I should wear a hat with like a logo that I can like say. This is, you know, his, like, it's his logo or, or it's his thing. And the only thing I could think was sad face because he's such a crank bastard. You know? <laughs> yep. So I just, yeah, I did the sideways emoji sad thing, sad face. And, and I, I just loved it. I, and I don't know if anybody else cares about it, but um, I, I just thought it was the best thing ever. And I had hats made. So my first Kickstarter, I had a bunch of hats made for people and stuff. So nice. I still have hats. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say if you have any extra ones lying around, no, I could. Oh, I'll hook you up. I'll hook you I'm, up. I'm a hat and a t-shirt guy. And nice. Yeah, if you guys need hats, you let me know. Nice. <laughs> we'll make it happen. So, Steve, um, part of my job, uh, I'm a therapist, so I like to get to know people. Um, sometimes that makes them uncomfortable, but that's kind of my job. What is the uh, what is something that you want people to know about you? Oh, I mean, you've shared a little bit about kind of your journey through publishing and kind of what you use to kind of create things, but like, what's maybe some cool stuff that um, people just need to know about you. And, and before, like Mark and I talked about this earlier about we treat uh, celebrities and people that, that create things that we love. They're like on a different level, but it's like, yes, and you're also human and it's really <laughs> cool to relate to you. So right. what, what's some things that you would like folks to know about you? Um, I guess that just that, I think that's, that's basically it that, you know, I, I mean, that's for me, that's, that's what comics that's what I love about comics is it's me. It's just me. Like I'm, it's all me out in, in the content that I create. Even, even if it's like some weird story about a cat and a fish superhero team, there's stuff in there that people can find out about who I am as a person. Um, maybe even more so than like actors get to do with like a role because that's something that written for them maybe. And you know, how, how much of Brad Pitt do we know from his movies? Like, I don't know. Sure. Maybe a lot, maybe not. Um, but for comics, especially the kinds of comics that I'm interested in making, it's it's just an extension of who I am as a person, as a real person, not like what I like, not trying to be like a celebrity or trying to be somebody sure. like an author who's trying to 
make some big statement about the world or my worldview or something. It's just like me. It's just, this is like, that's why Plox is so important to me. And, and I've done the same thing in Pathfinders where I've infused myself into the characters mm -hmm. in a way that I want, I hope people can feel it. And even if you don't know why you feel it, like maybe, maybe that's actually better. Yeah. You know, people that's one, uh, feel one related heck of a legacy though. You live on through your works, right? Yeah, well, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What a great way to express, trying to, it's such an outlet, a way to express yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and for, like, with Plox, like, I was trying to, I was actually trying to, it was like therapy for me. I was going through, like, some relationship hardships and with people that I cared about, and it was exactly me. Chad was me. I was trying to figure out how, why do I feel this way about these people that I love? Why would I treat them this way? Or why would they treat me this way? Or, and, you know, it's just all these lessons that you learn throughout your life. Um, I was able to, thankfully, I was able to put that into a story that actually can exist and not all, not just be complete autobiography. And mm -hmm. I don't want people to feel sorry for me or, you know, I don't want to tell a story that's like, oh, look at what I, you know, look what happened to me. Um, it's, it's, it's more so like, hey, look what's going on with us. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, look, look how we are. <laughs> isn't this interesting, or isn't this um, something to think about, and maybe change your life about um, yeah. too? So, that's kind of what I love about comics. It, it touches people, even superhero comics, and can just they can do they they like they break through something in mm -hmm. in our brains, and it gets straight to the, like the point or the core of of who we are as people. You know, even if it's a silly story like. I just watched, I know it's a movie and not the comics, but I was just watching the Guardians of the, Guardians of the Galaxy movies the other day. And those movies just have such such heart. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're about, the stories are about people. Even the raccoon is a person. Like yeah. he's, a, he's somebody that you care about. And the, I don't know, that's just, there's value. There's value in the empathy that you have for those characters and the reflection of yourself in those characters. Really important, but comics just is—I don't know—comics is like a really, really powerful medium to do that, in my opinion. I would agree, hundred percent. It's kind of like it's not like a movie, but it's something that's stationary. So you, I, I think you almost get to um, you get to relate to it on a more stable level yeah. um, and absorb it over a longer period of time. Whereas like a movie, I might have to watch it over and over again. But it's like a there's there's some value in the static medium of a yeah. comic and i think you can take it with you yeah yeah you can take it with you and also i agree you, you know comics is different from movies in that you can you you're consuming it at your own at your own pace yeah if it's even if it's written or drawn to dictate a pace mm -hmm. you as the reader get to decide in the end if I want to stare at this splash page, I get to do that. If I want to flip back mm -hmm. and pause, you know, like, do you ever watch, you know, when you watch Lord of the Rings, do you pause for 10 minutes and stare at a frame of, no. I mean, maybe after you've seen it like 50 times and you're interested in you know, that orc in the background, <laughs> right. you know, but for the most part, you don't do that. Like movies are, are dic they dictate the pace and they dictate the, um, yeah, the story in a different way and, and kind of some more similar to prose, like if you're reading a book, Mm -hmm. you're you're uh, con contributing you know to the story you're part of the story in a different way because you get to stop and start when you want you can go back so i think that's, that's well really my my parents and my sister would definitely tell you that my brother and i rewound stuff <laughs> oh yeah obviously <laughs> over and over and over and over again <laughs> like why are why are you doing this 
to the point where the VHS funny. is like skipped at that point of the tape. Yeah, it's it's now burned and <laughs> like just burned not... out. Yeah. You you, you mentioned that the the movie sets the pace, and when I was reading Pathfinder Society, I was reminded of like Ready Player One, just the endless Easter eggs in that movie. Of, oh like, yeah. Obviously, yeah. there's the there's the classics like okay he's driving a DeLorean so it's like we know there's some Back to the Future stuff but it's like there's also it's just all over the place there's so many mentions but that was kind of frustrating to me it was like can you just slow down so I can maybe right yeah pay attention to some of that movie things. that movie I do pause yeah I'm yeah I mean you have to it's like yeah. a quest of can there's you get too much the there's too much on the screen yeah that's funny yeah I tried I tried really hard to, to do that when I could it's just Chalk it full. We like Easter eggs, don't we? I do. I really appreciate them. <laughs> so is there any um, kind of a final note about Easter eggs? Is there any f- um, lasting hint, a fun hint or something that you would suggest uh, people pay attention to when they read this? Oh, a hint. Hmm. There's definitely things in the ending of this book that people will see again and that will become big. Things that they find at the end of the story. Um, they they use a lot in the okay. next story. That's that's about as much as I could probably say without giving stuff away. Sure. So pay attention to that last chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Jim, do we have any other questions online? That's it. We're good. We do. Uh, Steve. Dave Carl says hello. Dave, <laughs> I missed you. When are you coming back to Columbus? Don't come back right now. But. <laughs> I guess my only thing is uh, before we end this live feed, if um, anybody else has any other questions that they want to ask Steve or uh, uh, we're going to post this and uh, you can facilitate it. We'll put it on our podcast next episode. So this email, uh, Gib at the laughing over Ohio at Gmail, right? Is that right, Gib? Laughing over Ohio at Gmail. Yeah. yeah. And we've got books, you know, so if you guys want signed books, uh, this would be the easiest place to, to get them is through the ogre. And I live like a block away from, the ogre so you guys can just make sure that you know people know they can just order direct from the ogre and i can sign them if they're if that's what they're interested in absolutely so uh steve if you like let's say you're on the you're on the final pitch if you had one last comment to get people to buy this book what what do you want them to go away with um i think it's just a great adventure story for kids Uh, it's it's for all ages but you know right now if you've got kids you know you need stuff. So yeah, get this book. <laughs> There's a lot in it. It will probably take them a while to like figure out. And that's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, it's got Easter eggs and stuff in it to see, to see. So there's a, it's a feast for the eyes. Um, so if you've got a kid that is into adventure, mystery, that kind of stuff, I think it's perfect. I think it's just a good time, but it's also really, it's a fun story. It's going somewhere. We got more, we got another book on the way. Uh, hopefully, more. I'm excited to be working on it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. We look forward to it. Yes, I highly recommend that anybody, even I mean, me as an adult, had so much fun reading it and so much looking at it just to find the Easter eggs, man. And I was like, oh man, Indiana Jones is in here. So, oh yeah, like it's it is it's it's seriously like a treasure hunt in and of itself with your artwork, man. And it's 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 a beautiful thing. And I highly recommend anybody listening or to check it out. It's really really cool. And plocks plocks. If you live in Ohio, what are you doing? Pick this book up seriously. Yeah, not maybe not. <laughs> great for younger kids but and we can make those books available through the ogre as well definitely yeah you guys have any other questions no steve this has been great you've definitely educated us and and we really really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us thank you very much no problem anytime guys
Um, I've kind of already said some things, but uh, Steve, really appreciate um, the work that you've done. I look forward to uh, sharing your your future work with with my kids. Um, again, it's just a really cool way to share my love for comics and just a way to relate to them with stories. And you've done an amazing job. So thank you. Thank you. Gabe, did you have anything else you wanted to, uh, to plug or anything before we go off live? Uh, we got one last thing. Uh, Tyler, age 12, says he's excited to read it. Nice. Excellent. Tyler, your book's on the way. I think I just signed it. Awesome. And then Aaron Brown says, thanks, Steve. <laughs> thanks, Aaron. All right. We're good. Well, thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. And, Absolutely. Um, live stream. Is, I had a lot of fun. Live, live stream is over. Thanks, Steve. That was awesome. That was good. No problem. Thank How you. How many guys. books did you sign, Steve? Uh, I'm, we got one, two, three, four, five, six. Six books. That's nice. Good. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I think, uh, Steve, when all this calms down, um, you sound like the type of person I'd like to get a beer with. So just saying that. <laughs> It's nice meeting you. and uh, oh, Definitely, man. I would love to. Absolutely. Gib needs to come, too. Just don't, just don't wear any of that Bengal stuff, man. <laughs> you know how easy it is to make a Browns helmet into a Bengal helmet with a marker? Ooh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I've never heard that one before. I'm hoping you have success this year. I am. I'm hoping. If there's a league this year. Yeah, yeah. right? I feel like Columbus is going to maybe implode if football doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Buckeyes football doesn't happen. All right. Gentlemen, take care. I appreciate you. Thanks, Thank you, Gib. Gib. Thanks, Gib. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'll talk to you uh, on the other side. Take All care. Right. Again, thanks, very guys. nice meeting you. Thanks for hanging out. Okay, you guys. Thanks. And that was Steve Hemmaker with the three of us and Gib Bickle from The Laughing Ogre. Um, again, kind of what Rich said uh, before the interview, we'll have that kind of shared. Uh, you can get that interview on The Laughing Ogre's Facebook page as well as ours. Um, so, so, fellas... It is episode 20, episode and I think 20. we are at the final uh, book of our top 10 countdown. Final. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Who wants to go first? Um, I do. I'll go first. Um, my number one book that, as I was going through my books to find our number one, that I'm so glad I picked this number one, was came out the summer of or the beginning of the summer of 1998. This particular issue came out June 1998. And do you guys remember the respect line? Yeah. Yep. It's with some of DC Comics' better known female characters. It was one with Batgirl. There's ones of Birds of Prey, uh, maybe one or two others. But the ones issues that I collected was Batgirl, the Birds of Prey, and one of my favorites was Lois Lane. They gave nice. her a particular one shot, and this is probably one of my all-time favorite books because I'm a huge Lois Lane fan, and I just love her tenacity and the fact that she knows karate and can handle herself. And I always loved it in this show, Lois and Clark, whenever Terry Hatch yep. or whatever, where they would have a scene, and she would like kick butt, do karate, or kick somebody, or throw somebody, or you know, just some kind of something. I always loved seeing that. And so, in this particular issue, she goes undercover. She has her spy gear, cameras. Um, she has a wetsuit, and she's going after a story. And Superman is in it, and they're obviously in a relationship. And he's telling her to be careful and knowing that she can take care of herself. And she's really just true to her character, even up till now. For example, in Man of Steel, where Lois Lane is going after a story. She'll do whatever it takes, going undercover and just trying to uncover the truth. And this book totally speaks to the strength of her character. And so that's my number one. It was, it was the title of the series was called Respect, but this one was called Girl Frenzy. And it's Superman. And the, this particular one shot is of Lois Lane. 
So that's my number one. Nice. I really, I'm glad you picked that, Mark, because I remember when we first started, you know, when we became friends, you know, I knew immediately that you liked, you know, the Hulk and, you know, the Marvel character. Then you liked kind of the the not obvious DC characters. Like you were always drawn to like the Lois Lanes and the Black Canaries, the ones that are in the shadow of, you know, in this case, there's significant others in the universe. But I always remembered you, I, I found out you liked uh, Terry Hatcher more than most people did. Like you love Lois and Clark and it was Lois Lane kicking ass. And I just, I'm glad you picked that. That's very genuine Mark Mazak. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And it's so funny because I, I never, it's, I'm, you, you, the way you said that, I never noticed it, but I think I do. I like the lesser known, stronger supporting characters. I never realized that, but I, I just thought that I just liked them. But you're right. They're the supporting characters that I always go after. You're right. I, I never thought about that. Well, you like the speedies of the Green Arrows. Yeah. Well, and you've always liked the lesser of known, really, any superhero, really. Like, I remember we've said it a couple times on this show that your favorite was Ant-Man, and I didn't even know who Ant-Man was. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the backstories and the details of these sometimes obscure characters that really resonated with you, and, and you, you always loved them and followed them, so. Yeah, that's true. I just, I had never thought about it, but that's really, yeah, you're right about that. What's your number one, Rich? Well, I know I'm getting ready to shock everybody, okay? So I hope you're sitting down. My number one book is a little story called The Watchmen. But my particular one is issue number nine from May 1987. And the reason that I love the ending to this issue is because it's basically when, and this is just my opinion, the biggest takeaway from it is, it's basically when John finds the value in humanity. So like the whole time when you're learning about Dr. Manhattan and you're learning about like his feelings about humanity, it's kind of just apathetic. He doesn't really care. And the comedian actually calls him out on that when they were in Vietnam together. But he tries, he's with Lori on Mars, Silk Spectre 2, and he's showing her a vision of, it's essentially the vision that is revealed to her that the comedian was her father. And she goes nuts. And she's crying she's upset she destroys his glass mobile that he was riding around with on mars but the just i'm not going to read it because it's very lengthy but just the ending to this issue is just so alan moore does a great job of describing it and it's just he shows her the vision and he comes away with the understanding of humanity it's basically how the comedian and Lori's mother got together and had her and that she was special and basically it came down to everybody. Everybody is essentially a thermodynamic miracle on earth and he's compelled and it's, he's shocked and nothing seems to shock this guy. And he then makes the choice to return to earth with Lori and help save the planet pretty much. And, you know, that's really, I believe the heart of the story for me, the biggest takeaway is the thermodynamic miracle section of issue nine. And I guess that was my biggest problem with the TV show where they kind of just, I don't know, insulted it to a point where, oh, <laughs> just thermodynamic miracle. <laughs> bull you know, like that to me was the most important part of the story where all life is valuable and humanity will survive. It just really, really resonated with me. So my number one book is Watchmen number nine from May 1987. Nice. Well, for me, um, I can remember particular story arcs 
uh, and Batman. Obviously, the ones we've talked about a lot on the show. Uh, some some clear examples are like you know the Nightfall, the Night Quest, the Night End. But my number one is a little book that came out in 2003, uh, Batman 608. That was the launch of the Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee Batman hush storyline. And God, I just how remember... Many, how old is that now? Is that really almost 20 years old now? Mm-hmm. That is crazy to think. Came out the year after um, we graduated from high school, man. Oof. And that book is still talked about. Yeah, and I think I remember... Is Huntress in that book? Yes, like mm-hmm. everybody is in that book. I I just remember DC, even you know, even the the big bu- the big boys like Batman and Superman were always second when we kind of came up in comics to you know the X Men and and some of the mainstream Marvel books. But when Jim Lee took over that book, like that was the comic book that everybody read. Yeah. Like that was number one by far. And for me, it just showed Batman in a completely different light. And it wasn't just Batman. It was Catwoman and Gotham City and Killer Croc. Like the Bat universe was presented in just a brilliant way that I had never seen before. And a lot, I've read a lot of books, but 608 still stands out in the back of my mind as something that I always, it's like an anchor for me as a Batman fan um, yes. as to what uh, the story could be. Um, Loeb did a great job with that. Like it was just one of those books you just couldn't wait to read. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of had you going around every turn, like who is this hush dude and oh, a new character, you know, is this an old character? Is this a new character? Like, who is this? And, just brilliant. And I think that is by far my number one. I'd love to get it autographed, but you know, that's like hard to do. But I know when Jim I can Lee remember does, he does interviews, it's still to this day, they almost always bring up that story. And yeah. it's, it's resonated with so many people and so many people are, I was kind of pissed off about the animated movie where they changed it and it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's like, don't mess with it. It's a set story. Right. But I just, you know, I just remember like some of the panels when he's in the Batcave and like, it's like Minority Report, like, you know, graphics of his Bat computer and stuff. And it was just, ugh, I just soaked in every page. So by far, you know, as I a remember, fan, I remember watching an interview, it might have been on DC Universe where they were, uh, it was fairly recent. Um, they were talking to uh, Jim about his uh, 60 for 60 sketches that he's doing for the, yeah. the brick and mortar that we talked about. And they brought up Hush. And the one thing that I took away was when he was saying, I I just got to do crazy stuff where I wanted to do like a Ferris wheel of like the Batmobiles in the Batcave. Where it's like he like drew that double splash page with just the contraption of all the different Batmobiles in the in the cave. And yeah, it's definitely a iconic book for sure. Yes, I got iconic. Just an iconic poster right behind me. So just an iconic story, man. Like you had pretty much every rogues gallery Batman villain in that book. Mm-hmm. And this, like, I know that I shared it. I shared, uh, what, what one was it here? It was um, my number six, uh, Batman's uh, 617, where you really thought Jason Todd was back. Yep. Like they, they didn't hold back at all when it came to that story. Like it was amazing. I, I loved it. It's that is still probably uh my favorite Batman story of all time next to uh, Frank Miller's year one. Like, yeah, yep. it's up there. So, 
So, yep, that's uh, that rounds out my top 10. Nice. So uh, we've kind of plugged it a couple times. So uh, next episode, we'll kind of just go back through our top 10 and, and share anything else that we may have forgotten from previous episodes. And then we'll start our new who would win segment. So really appreciate you guys checking out the episode and uh, to plug it again. Um, if you have any questions for for Steve about his, his, uh, Pathfinder society, uh, shoot us an email. You can shoot us an email at uh, heroes home base podcast or heroes home base at gmail.com and, uh, or our Facebook page or reach out to Gib at the laughing ogre, uh, laughing ogre, Ohio at gmail.com. So, and, uh, hopefully get you a signed book, man. It's, it's worth it. You guys got anything else? Nope. That's um, it. As always really appreciate everybody listening. Um, I think it was pretty cool to kind of do a live event for the first time that was yeah you know it was a great conversation different. Yeah. yeah it's always nice to sit around and talk comics with folks especially people like steve that are that's the bread and butter and as he said his life's on the page so um would like to get you know some feedback or questions or comments uh some subscribes and some likes uh from folks but as always thanks for listening this is rich this is mark this is rob Thank you again for listening and supporting this RMR production.